O God, you see that of ourselves we have no strength. By your mighty power, defend us from all adversities that may happen to the body and from all evil thoughts that may assault and hurt the soul. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. The Old Testament reading for the second Sunday in Lent is from Genesis chapter 32. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had, and Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. Therefore to this day the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. This is the word of the Lord. The epistle is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to live and to please God just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 15th chapter. Glory to you, o Lord. Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. This is the Gospel of the Lord. 
Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God the Father, from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. In last week's gospel, the devil attempted to pass himself off as a friend of Jesus despite being his biggest adversary. In this week's gospel, Jesus appears to be our biggest adversary despite being our greatest friend. Your saints, I'll ask you this morning, have you ever felt like God was your enemy and not your Savior. If so, then this Sunday's Old Testament and Gospel readings are for you. Nevertheless, <clears throat> pardon me, even if you have never felt like God is against you, you will at some point be tempted to doubt God's goodness, kindness, and faithfulness. In fact, this is a first commandment issue, that we are to fear, love, and trust in God above all things. And this is really the way in which the devil tempts us most. It's as old as the garden and the temptation we find there to tempt us to doubt God, to doubt God's character, his heart, his love for you in Christ. And so there will come a, t a moment when it seems like God is not for you, but against you. Such as the reality of being God's baptized child living in a sinful world. We live in the midst of spiritual war. Well, today we will learn that regardless of what our feelings and what our experiences may tell us, God is for us in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, in the Old Testament reading, Jacob finds himself literally wrestling with God, the pre-incarnate Christ, the second person of the Holy Trinity. And this is over the length of an entire evening on the fords of the Jabbok. The wrestling match is such that at one point God touches Jacob's hip and puts it out of socket, and yet Jacob tells the Lord... I will not let you go unless you bless me. You know, it's interesting, the nature of the scuffle they have when you look at the Hebrew, it's such that it means that it's sending up a cloud of dust. That is how vigorous this wrestling was. Well, Jacob asked for a blessing precisely because he knows with whom he is wrestling. He knows who his opponent is. He knows he wrestles with God. But what blessing is Jacob after? He wants to know that God will do what he's already promised to do, namely to always be with Jacob, to increase his family beyond number, a promise which is ultimately fulfilled in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jacob is quite literally holding God to his word, which is exactly what God wants of Jacob, and it is what he wants of you, dear saints. Now the Lord could have ended this wrestling match any time he wanted with just a mere thought, a mere word, and yet he wrestles with Jacob until all Jacob has to hold on to are the bare promises of God. Again, this is exactly what the Lord wanted of Jacob, and it is what he wants for each and every one of us. God wants you to be, hold on to his word, his sure and certain promises in Christ Jesus. Now, let's go ahead and move to the gospel reading, shall we? Because here we see another wrestling match between God and man, only this encounter is different than the Old Testament, of course. In fact, in some ways, it's harsher, despite the fact that Jesus never lays a finger on the Canaanite woman that we are hearing about today. St. Matthew writes, And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. Now, first of all, this cry for mercy, it should sound very familiar to you. We just heard it not long ago. The woman's words are almost identical to that of the blind man whom we heard crying out to Jesus just two weeks ago 
on Quinquagesima Sunday. So this woman is crying out in faith. She clearly knows who Jesus is, that he is the Lord, the son of David. It's a beautiful prayer of one that is clinging to God's promises concerning the Messiah, the anointed Savior of all mankind. And just what is the, the plight, the situation of this poor Canaanite woman? Well, we read that her daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. This should give us pause. Again, we see the context of the world that we live in, that we are constantly in spiritual battle. Here, this poor young lady is severely oppressed by a demon. We are tempted by them all the more each and every day. This problem should also be fresh in our minds because just a week ago, we witnessed Jesus duking it out with the devil in the wilderness, doing battle with only the word of God and coming out on top, prevailing over our old evil foe. Now, given the context and your knowledge of who Jesus is, you would expect the next thing that you hear to be something like this. And Jesus blessed the woman and cast out the demon from her daughter. But that's not what happens. St. Matthew tells us that he did not answer her a word. Christ ignores her, and he ignores her request. At least that's how it seems. Even Christ's disciples, who are annoyed by the presence of this woman and annoyed by her crying out to them, they sound more merciful than Jesus. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. They just wanted Jesus to kind of, you know, boom, dispense mercy and then move on so that they could get on with their day. I was only sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That's our Lord's answer. That's what he said. And these words of Jesus, they are judgmental and they are true. This woman was a, Gen a Gentile, a Canaanite no less, and as such she had no claim on Israel's Messiah. It could be said that these words of Jesus were both an instructive reminder to his disciples and also a rebuke to this woman. Dear saints, I wouldn't blame you for thinking that this doesn't sound like Jesus at all. Nevertheless, we must hold on. But she came and knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. The woman literally falls down on her face at Jesus' feet in a posture of worship. She plants herself right in front of him such that she would have to, he would have to move around her, step over her. Only this time, she doesn't address him with proper theologically correct titles, eloquent words. Her prayer is stark, bare, and desperate. Lord, help me. Similar to Jacob in the Old Testament reading, she won't let Jesus go. What happens next is both stunning and it is painful because Jesus answered, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Ouch. This is truly a hard and painful test. The Lord's pushing her to the limit for a purpose. In other words, Jesus himself is looking for something in this woman. Now keep in mind, these words of Jesus are an insult. Dogs are not then as they are today. They're working animals at best. That's when you actually have them trained and you want them around. And at worst, they're really like raccoons today. They're like trash pandas. They're annoying. They're potentially dangerous. They have diseases. You don't want them near your children. Jesus addresses the woman as a little dog who would take away the bread from his children. So then how does she respond? She said, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. 
That's faith. I can't say that I would have had that same response. This is what Jesus is looking for and what he found. Notice that the woman does not deny at all that she is a dog. She accepts it, even as she clings to Jesus as her master and Lord. And yet this poor woman is so much more than a dog to Jesus. In a sermon on the same text, Martin Luther once wrote, Our Lord gives an eternally unanswerable reply, to which no one can give a satisfactory answer. Yet she does not despair, but agrees with his judgment and concedes she is a dog and desires also no more than a dog is entitled to, namely, that she may eat the crumbs that fall from the table of the Lord. Is not that a masterly stroke as a reply, he writes? She catches Christ with his own words. He compares her to a dog. She concedes it and asks nothing more than she let her be a dog as he himself judged her to be. Where will Christ now take refuge? He is caught. Truly, people let the dog have the crumbs under the table. It is entitled to that. Therefore, Christ now completely opens his heart to her and yields to her will so that she is now no dog, but even a child of Israel. It's beautiful. Dear saints, this blessed woman's confession revealed that she is a child of Israel, a child of God by faith. The Lord answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. You can almost hear those words of Jacob kind of floating through the wilderness, down through the ages. I will not let you go unless you bless me. That's the language of faith. Jacob and the Canaanite woman hold God to his word. It is as though they say, I know who you are, Lord. I know your promises. You promise in your word that you are gracious and you are merciful. You promise in your word that you will never leave nor forsake your chosen people. You promise that you abound in steadfast love and forgive the sins of the penitent. O Lord, have mercy upon me. O Lord, my God, I am holding on to your word. You know what, dear saints? God delights in this. Now keep in mind that this is not at all the same thing as finding some sort of magic lamp and rubbing it and expecting a genie to come out and grant you wishes. That's not what this is at all. That is not the nature of prayer. God does not exist to do our bidding. He is Lord and we are his people. Rather, God has made great promises to us and he wants us to hold on to those promises, his promises in faith, the same as a child clings to the leg of his father crying out, you promised, Dad. And what does God say? You're right, my beloved ones. I did promise. And I always keep my promises. By her faith, the Canaanite woman reveals that she's a true child of Israel. She is our sister in Christ. It's revealed that she has a place at God's table by grace through faith in Christ Jesus, the same as us. She doggedly held on to the promises of the Messiah. And this dear woman, she joins her voice to ours to our confession, just as we prayed in the introit. Remember, O Lord, your tender mercies and your loving kindnesses, for they are from of old. Let not my enemies triumph over me. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all their troubles. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in you. Let me not be ashamed. Do not remember the sins of my youth. According to your mercy, remember me for your goodness sake. Notice that. According to your mercy, remember me. According to for your, for your goodness sake. Remember not my sins. Lord, remember who you are. Your goodness sake, your mercy. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore he teaches sinners in the way. 
For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. Again, for your name's sake, pardon my iniquity. We have nothing in ourselves. It's all God's grace in Christ. Dear saints, there are times in life when it seems that God is our adversary and not our God and Father. These are times of testing. In fact, for those of you who've been through trials like this, it can be downright unnerving to listen to readings like this. And yet, they are meant to be heartening to us because we see the heart of our God. The most common question in situations like this is why? Why does God do this? Though we cannot know all the answers as to why the Lord allows or even brings suffering into our lives or the lives of loved ones, what we do know is this, that he wants to refine our faith and that he promises to never leave us or forsake us. Did you notice that the woman's prayer changed as Jesus continued pressing her? She came to the end of herself. No fancy titles, no theological addresses, only the words, Lord, help me. She wasn't relying upon anything but God and his promises, who he revealed himself to be in his word. She knew God's character as he revealed himself in his word, and she held on in faith, and he does the same to us. In fact, the Lord delights in us when we hold him to his word. Living through testing like this is difficult. In fact, it can feel downright unbearable. But God assures us of his love and his grace in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We'd also do well to remember, dear Christians, that our Lord Jesus himself knows very much what it is to struggle in prayer. Think of those hours spent in the Garden of Gethsemane as our Lord wrestled with the weight and reality of drinking the cup of woe that was the cross, bearing the sin of all humanity to Golgotha and the cross. All of our sin, all of our shame, all of our doubt and unbelief, our bitter thoughts, our envy, our malice, our sexual immorality, all of it, he bore it all in his flesh to the cross and he wrestled with his father in the garden before going. And yet he said, not my will, but yours be done. And he drank it to the dregs for you. He went knowing that in that great mystery, he would experience the forsakenness of his father. And he did that so that we would never know that forsakenness, but only God's love, his kindness, and his mercy. Yes, Jesus knows what it is to feel forsaken by God, Yet the love of the Father remained constant and unshakable despite the suffering. In fact, the suffering, death, and resurrection of Jesus is God the Father's most potent and irrefutable proof of his love for you. Truly, he will never leave you nor forsake you. No matter what the devil, the world, or even your emotions may tell you. Knowing the heart of God in Christ Jesus, we can cry out, Lord, have mercy. And we can rest in the truth that God is indeed merciful. See, calling upon the Lord for mercy is the theme for this second Sunday in Lent, reminiscere. That word reminiscere, as I mentioned before the service, is Latin for remember, which is the first word of our introit for the day. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. In other words, I'm holding you to your word, Lord. And this theme, it continued right on through the gradual. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. God be praised that he does bring us out of our distresses. Even if, according to his wisdom, we persist in our suffering in this life, he will eventually bring us out of all of our sufferings, all of our distresses, as he brings us to himself in paradise. Indeed, Christ Jesus, he took all our troubles and afflictions upon himself and he carried them to the cross where he won the forgiveness of our sins and the salvation of our souls. 
The Lord to whom we lift up our souls has himself been lifted up on the tree of the cross in order to save and redeem us. The Son of God was put to shame before wicked men so that we would never be put to shame before our holy God and Father. The old evil foe who would slay us with his lies, he is the one who is now mortally wounded, his head crushed under the beautiful feet of Jesus, who is the good news of God in the flesh for you. The Lord has remembered his mercy and his steadfast love, for he has sent his only begotten Son, even the Son of David, to defeat our enemies. He has redeemed you, O Israel, out of all your troubles. Therefore, dear saints, we can be at peace, for the Lord remembers his mercy for you, and he's with you right in the midst of your trials and of your suffering because he's been there. He knows. He's carried them to the cross. He does not forget or forsake you. In fact, in answer to your cries for mercy, the Lord both speaks to you in his word and he feeds you from his table of mercy. When you're weary and you can't hold on, come here and know that the Lord holds on to you. When you cry out as we did in the intro, it, for your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. The Lord speaks his absolution through his called and ordained servant for you. When you cry out, O Lord, have mercy upon me, for I am greatly distressed, he welcomes you. He brings you to his table, and he feeds you his true body and blood for your forgiveness, your healing, and your consolation. Now, to that end, I want to share with you a centuries-old prayer that has connections both to the Canaanite woman in the reading this day and also to the Lord's Supper. It says, We do not presume to come to this thy table, O merciful Lord, trusting in our own righteousness, but in thy manifold and great mercies. We are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under thy table, but thou art the same Lord whose property is always to have mercy. Grant us, therefore, gracious Lord, so to eat the flesh of thy dear Son, Jesus Christ, and to drink his blood, that we may evermore dwell in him and he in us. Amen. Dear children of God, when all seems lost and God seems like your enemy, remember his promises and hold on. When your strength and your faith seem on the verge of failure, hold on to Jesus' promises, to his word. Remember that regardless of how you may feel or what your circumstances may be, it is your Lord and Savior who holds you in his hands. Though his hand may seem like it's actually weighing you down, it is that same hand of Jesus that was pierced for your forgiveness and salvation and raised on the third day in glory. Remember, it is he who took hold of you with those same hands in holy baptism and washed you clean of sin, setting you free from death and hell. And today, the same Jesus, he seats you at his table and he feeds you, his children, the very bread of life. This is our Lord and our God who will one day call us to his eternal paradise. That is his promise to you in Christ, and you can hold on to it, even as he holds you in his merciful hands. In the name of Jesus, amen. The peace of God which surpasses understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, amen. In peace, let us pray to the Lord. For faith, that like Abraham we may delight in the Lord's promise kept in Christ, and for the Holy Spirit, that we may witness to his name and carry his gospel to every place and people, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have For pastors, that they may faithfully preach and teach God's word, and that the Lord would raise up many laborers for church work vocations and bless their preparation in our colleges and seminaries, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have 
for Christians from every nation grafted into Christ's church, that they would pray fervently and so bring the needs of the world to his gracious throne. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For hearts to seek God's blessing and for eyes to see through the afflictions that come from his hand, that we would recognize the endurance, character, and hope they produce in his children, let us pray to the Lord. For hearts eager to overcome brotherly strife among us, that after the example of Jacob with Esau, we would make peace with one another through persistent prayer and humility, let us pray to the Lord. For our leaders, especially Joseph, our president, Michael, our governor, and all congressmen, judges, and civil servants, that God would grant them steadfastness and wisdom, and for peace between nations and a spirit of humility and concord among our citizens, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For the people of God in their sorrows and sicknesses, especially Earl Brandt, John Mishlick, Pat Taney, Norma Horine, Charlotte Locke, Bob Rash, Chuck Lichty, Lisa Rash, Ted Phillips, and Mark Nogger, that Christ would sustain them in their afflictions, comfort them in the hour of death, and raise them up from the dead according to his gracious promise. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For the gift of the Holy Spirit, that we may approach the Lord's table with faith and receive with repentant hearts the benefits of his holy communion. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we implore you by your Holy Spirit to strengthen our hearts and confirm our faith and hope in your grace and mercy. Although we have reason to fear for the sake of our conscience, our sin and our unworthiness, let us nevertheless hold fast, like the woman of Canaan, to your grace. In every trial and in every temptation, let us find you a present help and refuge. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. 